the creation. Introductory remarks. Of the visions of her childhood, Sister Emmerich tells us, when in my sixth year I reflected on the first article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. There passed before my soul innumerable pictures of the creation of heaven and earth. I saw the fall of the angels, the creation of the earth and paradise, that of Adam and Eve, and the fall of man. I thought everyone saw this, as we do other things around us, and I spoke of it freely to my parents, brothers, sisters, and playmates, but they laughed at me. They asked me whether I had a book containing all these things, and so I began to keep silence concerning them. I thought, though without much reflection, that perhaps it was not proper to speak on such subjects. I had these visions by night and by day, in the fields, in the house, sitting or walking, and when engaged in all kinds of employments. One day at school, I happened to speak of the resurrection, describing it differently from what we had been taught. I felt certain that everyone knew it just as I did. I did not dream that there was anything peculiar in my account of it. But the children gazed at me in wonder and laughed, while the master reproved me gravely and warned me not to indulge such imaginations. My visions continued, but I kept them to myself. I was like a child looking at a picture book, explaining the pictures in its own way, but not thinking much about their meaning. They represented the saints or scenes from sacred history, sometimes in one way, sometimes in another. They produced no change in my faith, they were merely my picture book. I gazed upon them quietly, and always with the good thought, all to the greater glory of God. In spiritual things, I have never put faith in anything but what God the Lord has revealed to the Catholic Church for our belief, whether it be written or not. I have never believed so firmly what I have seen in vision. I looked upon the latter as I devoutly regard, here and there, the various cribs at Christmas. I feel no annoyance at their difference in style, for in each I adore the same dear little infant Jesus. And so it is with those pictures of the creation of heaven, earth, and man. In them I adore God the Lord, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. 1. Fall of the Angels I saw spreading out before me a boundless, resplendent space, above which floated a globe of light shining like a sun. I felt that it was the unity of the Trinity. In my own mind, I named it the One Voice, and I watched it producing its effects. Below the globe of light arose concentric circles of radiant choirs of spirits, wondrously bright and strong and beautiful. The second world of light floated like a sun under that higher sun. These choirs came forth from the higher sun, as if born of love. Suddenly I saw some of them pause, wrapped in the contemplation of their own beauty. They took complacency in self. They sought the highest beauty in self. They thought but of self, 
they existed but in self. At first all were lost in contemplation out of self. But soon some of them rested in self. At that instant I saw this part of the glittering choirs hurled down, their beauty sunk in darkness, while the others, thronging quickly together, filled up their vacant spaces. And now the good angels occupied a smaller space. I did not see them leaving their places to pursue and combat the fallen choirs. The bad angels rested in self and fell away, while those that did not follow their example thronged into their vacant places. All this was instantaneous. Then rising from below, I saw a dark disk, the future abode of the fallen spirits. I saw that they took possession of it against their will. It was much smaller than the sphere from which they had fallen, and they appeared to me to be closely crowded together. I saw the fall of the angels in my childhood, and ever after, day and night, I dreaded their influence. I thought they must do great harm to the earth, for they are always around it. It is well they have no bodies, else they would obscure the light of the sun. We should see them floating around us like shadows. Immediately after the fall, I saw the spirits in the shining circles humbling themselves before God. They did homage to him and implored pardon for the fallen angels. At that moment, I saw a movement in the luminous sphere in which God dwelt. Until then, it had been motionless and, as I felt, awaiting that prayer. After that action on the part of the angelic choirs, I felt assured that they would remain steadfast, that they would never fall away. It was made known to me that God, in his judgment, and his eternal sentence against the rebel angels, decreed the reign of strife until their vacant thrones are filled. But to fill those thrones seemed to be almost impossible, for it would take so long. The strife will, however, be upon the earth. There will be no strife above, for God has so ordained. After I had received this assurance, I could no longer sympathize with Lucifer, for I saw that he had cast himself down by his own free, wicked will. Neither could I feel such anger against Adam. On the contrary, I felt great sympathy for him, because I thought it had been thus ordained. 2. Creation of the Earth Immediately after the prayer of the faithful choirs and that movement in the Godhead, I saw below me, not far from and to the right of the world of shadows, another dark globe arise. I fixed my eyes steadily upon it. I beheld it as if in movement, growing larger and larger, as it were, bright spots breaking out upon it and encircling it like luminous hands, luminous bands. Here and there they stretched out into brighter, broader plains, and at that moment I saw the form of the land setting boundaries to the water. In the bright places I saw a movement as of life, and on the land I beheld vegetation springing forth and myriads of living things arising. Child that I was, I fancied the plants were moving about. Up to this moment there was only a gray light like the sunrise like early morn breaking over the earth. 
like nature awakening from sleep. And now all other parts of the picture faded. The sky became blue, the sun burst forth, but I saw only one part of the earth lighted up and shining. That spot was charming, glorious, and I thought, there's paradise. While these changes were going on upon the dark globe, I saw, as it were, a streaming forth of light out of that highest of all the spheres, the God sphere, that sphere in which God dwelt. It was as if the sun rose higher in the heavens, as if bright morning were awakening. It was the first morning. No created being had any knowledge of it, and it seemed as if all those created things had been there forever in their unsullied innocence. As the sun rose higher, I saw the plants and trees growing larger and larger. The waters became clearer and holier, colors grew purer and brighter. All was unspeakably charming. Creation was not then as it is now. Plants and flowers and trees had other forms. They are wild and misshapen now, compared with what they were, for all things are now thoroughly degenerate. When looking at the plants and fruits of our gardens, apricots, for instance, which in southern climes are, as I have seen, so different from ours, so large, magnificent, and delicious, I often think, as miserable as our fruits compared with those of the south are the latter when compared with the fruits of paradise. I saw their roses, white and red, and I thought them symbols of Christ's passion and our redemption. I saw also palm trees and others, high and spreading, which cast their branches afar, as if forming roofs. Before the sun appeared, earthly things were puny, but in his beams they gradually increased in size, until they attained full growth. The trees did not stand close together. Of all plants, at least of the largest, I saw only one of each kind, and they stood apart like seedlings set out in a garden bed. Vegetation was luxuriant, perfectly green, of a species pure, sound, and exempt from decay. Nothing appeared to receive or to need the attention of an earthly gardener. I thought, how is it that all is so beautiful, since as yet there are no human beings? Ah, sin has not yet entered. There has been no destruction, no rending asunder. All is sound, all is holy. As yet there has been no healing, no repairing. All is pure, nothing has needed purification. The plain that I beheld was gently, un gently undulating and covered with vegetation. In its center rose a fountain, from all sides of which flowed streams, crossing one another and mingling their waters. I saw in them first a slight movement as of life, and then I saw living things. After that I saw, here and there, among the shrubs and bushes, animals peeping forth, as of just roused from sleep. They were very different from those of a later day, not at all timorous. Compared with those of our own time, they were almost as far their superior as men are superior to beasts. They were pure and noble, nimble and joyous. Words cannot describe them. I was not familiar with many of them, for I saw very few like those we have now. I saw the elephant, 
the stag, the camel, and even the unicorn. This last I saw also in the ark. It is remarkably gentle and affectionate, not so tall as a horse, its head more rounded in shape. I saw no asses, no insects, no wretched loathsome creatures. These last I have always looked upon as a punishment of sin. But I saw myriads of birds and heard the sweetest notes as in the early morning. There were no birds of prey that I could see, nor did I hear any animals bellowing. Paradise is still in existence, but it is utterly impossible for man to reach it. I have seen that it still exists in all its splendor. It is high above the earth in an oblique direction from it, like the dark globe of the angels fallen from heaven. For three, Adam and Eve. I saw Adam created, not in paradise, but in the region in which Jerusalem was subsequently situated. I saw him come forth, glittering and white, from a mound of yellow earth, as if out of a mold. The sun was shining, and I thought, I was only a child when I saw it, that the sunbeams drew Adam out of the hillock. He was, as it were, born of the virgin earth. God blessed the earth, and it became his mother. He did not instantly step forth from the earth. Some time elapsed before his appearance. He lay in the hillock on his left side, his arm thrown over his head, a light vapor covering him as with a veil. I saw a figure in his right side, and I became conscious that it was Eve, and that she would be drawn from him in paradise by God. God called him. The hillock opened, and Adam stepped gently forth. There were no trees around, only little flowers. I had seen the animals also coming forth from the earth in pure singleness, the females separate from the males. Now I saw Adam born up on high to a garden, to paradise. God led all the animals before him in paradise, and he named them. They followed him and gambled around him, for all things served him before he sinned. All that he named, and afterward followed him to earth. Eve had not yet been formed from him. I saw Adam in paradise among the plants and flowers, and not far from the fountain that played in its center. He was awaking as if from sleep, although his person was more like to flesh than to spirit, yet he was dazzlingly white. He wondered at nothing, nor was he astonished at his own existence. He went around among the trees and the animals, as if he were used to them all, like a man inspecting his fields. Near the tree by the water arose a hill. On it, I saw Adam reclining on his left side, his left hand under his cheek. God sent a deep sleep on him, and he was wrapped in vision. Then from his right side, from the same place in which the side of Jesus was opened by the lance, God drew Eve. I saw her small and delicate, but she quickly increased in size until full-grown. She was exquisitely beautiful. Were it not for the fall, all will be born in the same way, in tranquil slumber. The hill opened, and at Adam's side arose a crystalline rock, formed apparently of precious stones. At Eve's lay a white valley covered with something like fine white pollen. When Eve had been formed, I saw that God gave something, 
or allowed something to flow upon Adam. It was as if there streamed from the Godhead, apparently in human form, currents of light from forehead, mouth, breast, and hands. They united into a globe of light, which entered Adam's right side once Eve had been taken. Adam alone received it. It was the germ of God's blessing, which was threefold. The blessing that Abraham received from the angel was one. It was of similar form, but not so luminous. Eve arose before Adam, and he gave her his hand. They were like two unspeakably noble and beautiful children, perfectly luminous and clothed with beams of light as with a veil. From Adam's mouth I saw issuing a broad stream of glittering light, and upon his forehead was an expression of great majesty. Around his mouth played a sunbeam, but there was none around Eve's. I saw Adam's heart very much the same as in men of the present day, but his breast was surrounded by rays of light. In the middle of his heart I saw a sparkling halo of glory, and it was a tiny figure as if holding something in its hand. I think it symbolized the third person of the Godhead. From the hands and feet of Adam and Eve shot rays of light. Their hair fell in five glittering tresses, two from the temples, two behind the ears, and one from the back of the head. I have always thought that by the wounds of Jesus, there were opened anew in the human body portals closed by Adam's sin. I have been given to understand that Longinus opened in Jesus' side the gate of regeneration to eternal life. Therefore, no one entered heaven while that gate was closed. The glittering beams on Adam's head denoted his abundant fruitfulness, his glory, his connection with other radiations. And all this shining beauty is restored to glorified souls and bodies. Our hair is the ruined, the extinct glory. And as this hair of ours to rays of light, so is our present flesh to that of Adam before the fall. The sunbeams around Adam's mouth bore reference to a holy posterity from God, which, had it not been for the fall, would have been effectuated by the spoken word. Adam stretched forth his hand to Eve. They left the charming spot of Eve's creation and went through paradise, looking at everything, rejoicing in everything. That place was the highest in paradise. All was more radiant, more splendid there than elsewhere. Part 4. The Tree of Life and the Tree of Knowledge In the center of the glittering garden I saw a sheet of water, which lay an island connected with the opposite land by a pier. Both island and pier were covered with beautiful trees, but in the middle of the former stood one more magnificent than the others. It towered high over them as if guarding them. Its roots extended over the whole island as did also its branches, which were broad below and tapering to a point above. Its boughs were horizontal, and from them arose others like little trees. The leaves were fine, and the fruit yellow and sessile, and a leafy calyx like a budding rose. It was something like a cedar. I do not remember ever having seen Adam, Eve, or any animal near that tree on the island, but I saw beautiful 
noble-looking white birds and heard them singing in its branches. That tree was the tree of life. Just before the pier that led to the island stood the tree of knowledge. The trunk was scaly like that of the palm. The leaves, which spread out directly from the stem, were very large and broad and shaped like the sole of a shoe. Hidden in the fort part of the leaves hung the fruit clustering in fives, one in front and four around the stem. The yellow fruit had something of the shape of an apple, though more of the nature of a pear or fig. It had five ribs uniting in a little cavity. It was pulpy like a fig inside, of the color of brown sugar and streaked with blood-red veins. The tree was broader above than below, and its branches struck deep roots into the ground. I see a species of this tree still in warm countries. Its branches throw down shoots to the earth where they root and rise as new trunks. These in turn send forth branches, and so one such tree often covers a large tract of country. Whole families dwell under the dense foliage. Some distance to the right of the tree of knowledge, I saw a small, oval, gently sloping hill of glittering red grains and all kinds of precious stones. It was terraced with crystals. Around it were slender trees just high enough to intercept the view. Plants and herbs grew around it, and they, like the trees, bore colored blossoms and nutritious fruits. At some distance to the left of the tree of knowledge, I saw a slope, a little dale. It looked like soft clay or like mist, and it was covered with tiny white flowers and pollen. Here, too, were various kinds of vegetation, but all colorless, more like pollen than fruit. It seemed as if these two, the hill and the dale, bore some reference to each other, as if the hill had been taken out of the dale, or as if something from the former was to be transplanted into the latter. They were to each other what the seed is to the field. Both seemed to be holy, and I saw that both, but especially the hill, shone with light. Between them and the tree of knowledge arose different kinds of trees and bushes. They were all, like everything else in nature, transparent as if formed of light. These two places were the abodes of our first parents. The tree of knowledge separated them. Think that God, after the creation of Eve, pointed out those places to them. I saw that Adam and Eve were little together at first. I saw them perfectly free from passion, each in a separate abode. The animals were indescribably noble-looking and resplendent, and they served Adam and Eve. All had, according to their kind, certain retreats, abodes, and walks apart. The different spheres contained in themselves some great mystery of the divine law, and all were connected with one another.